Aren't you encouraged this morning? I mean, that, that ultimately is what it's all about, is proclaiming the gospel and making disciples and seeing people come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, it, it has been such a, a wonderful morning of celebration, and, and I, would, I think you'd join me in saying, we, we want to do this more often, don't we? And so, and so, let's just continue to be faithful to the truth. And so, uh, in our time in God's Word this morning, what I want to do is, I want to do something just a little bit different. I, I'm not going to preach a, a, like a full-length exposition, but I, I want to frame what we have participated in and witnessed. I, I want to just frame it biblically. And I want to do that by going to 1 Samuel chapter 7. And, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the 12 verses in the beginning, but I, they'll be back on the screen, but I'm not going to reword these. I'm not going to reread them, all right? And so I, I want to frame our time today with this thought from the Word of God. The Lord has helped us. The Lord has helped us. And let's stand as we read God's Word. And here's what the Bible says here in 1 Samuel chapter 7, beginning in verse 1. The Scripture says, And the men of Kiriath-Jerim came and took up the ark of the Lord and brought it to the house of Abinadab on the hill. And they consecrated his son Eleazar to have charge of the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark was lodged at Kiriath-Jerim, a long time passed, some twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel said to all the house of Israel, If you are returning to the Lord with all your heart, then put away the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you, and direct your heart to the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. So the people of Israel put away the Baals and the Ashtaroth, and they served the Lord only. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel at Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the people of Israel at Mizpah. Now when the Philistines heard that the people of Israel had gathered at Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the people of Israel heard it, heard of it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the people of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So Samuel took a nursing lamb and offered it as a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried out to the Lord for Israel. And the Lord answered him. As, as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to the attack Israel. But the Lord thundered with a mighty sound that day against the Philistines and threw them into confusion. And they were defeated before Israel. And the men of Israel went out from Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and struck them as far as below Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mizpah and Shen and called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Now, have, have you ever visited a national monument? Perhaps you've been to the Lincoln Memorial in D.C. Maybe you've gone to Mount Rushmore and you've seen the beauty and, and wonder of Mount Rushmore in South Dakota. Or maybe you've been to New York City and you've visited the Statue of Liberty there in New York. Each of these monuments represents significant moments 
in our country's history I, and, and represent as well ideals like liberty that define our nation or represent the people who guided us through the most great or the greatest challenges that we faced as a country. And the reason I bring that up because in the text before us, we have a prophet of Israel named Samuel who sets up a stone monument for the people of Israel. And this stone monument, and again, just get those monuments in your mind, the, the monument, it was a rock, and it was called Ebenezer. And the word Ebenezer means stone of help. Eben, stone, ezer, help. And so in, in that name, Ebenezer, which is what this was called, this monument, this memorial of God's faithfulness, we see true, two truths about Yahweh, about the God of Israel. We see first that he is strong, and then second we see that he is our help. He is a help to his people. Now, based on what we just read, so hopefully you paid close attention to what we read, but based on that, what has taken place, it, the, the name Ebenezer did not mean God helps those who help themselves. Let's just make sure we get that out in the very beginning. The, the, the message of the gospel, and for that matter, the message of the Bible, is not God helps those who help themselves. Instead, when they would have seen this stone memorial or this stone monument called Ebenezer, they understood it meant God helps the helpless. God helps the weak, the desperate. And Israel would have understand that without Yahweh, they would have certainly perished, consumed by the Philistines, their enemies. They were totally, completely dependent on him, and not in reverse, not God dependent on them, not God a little bit dependent on them. It was they were completely, entirely dependent on Yahweh to save them. And so Ebenezer reminded them, this Ebenezer stone reminded them of their total, complete, comprehensive dependence on Yahweh for salvation and for victory in everything. Now, isn't that the case, if you know your Bible, isn't that the case for all of Israel's history? Would we not agree that that was, that is, was always the case for the people of God in the Old Testament? Israel owed their entire existence to the Lord and His sovereign grace. It was Him who had liberated them from Egyptian bondage. It was Him who had led them through the barren wilderness and as the Lord had promised, he established Israel as a nation and made them his own people, through which he would bring into the world the Messiah, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so everything that had happened in Israel's life and history was an act of his sovereign grace, not a decision they made, not an achievement of their own. It was all by the mighty hand of God. And so here this monument goes up, just like monuments in our day. And for generations to come, the idea would be for maybe Hebrew parents to load their kids up in the station wagon. Just kidding. But maybe the camel caravan. I don't know. But they would load them up and they would visit the Ebenezer stone. And they would remember by seeing that stone just how desperate they were, how helpless they were when the Philistines threatened their existence and how the Lord had rescued them. And so the key truth that you see in the text is this, is that we should always remember that God rescues and helps his people. 
And everything that we do as Christians, baptism, communion, the Lord's Supper, the proclamation of the word in the pulpit, you know, all of it ultimately is to simply be a stone, a monument of being reminded that it is God who has rescued us through his son, Jesus Christ, and it is he who helps his people. And so I bet that if you went to the stone, uh, the, the Ebenezer stone, you probably saw little signs that were around it. You ever been to the Christmas cave? I know we went there last year. It was our first time. And you go in there, and there's these plaques, and you read the plaques, and then you, you move to the next thing, and it, it basically just summarizes the entire cave. Well, that's at every national monument we have. There's little plaques that explain what happened. And I think that if you would have gone there, you, you probably would have at least had to have some understanding of the story of the Ebenezer Stone. And so this morning, I just want to give you four main parts of the story of the Ebenezer Stone that I think will be very meaningful for you as you consider what we celebrate today. And so I want to look at these four things really quickly. I want to look at first the call of the word, and then I want to look at secondly the call of the word, the confession of sin, and then the commitment of their faith, and then the covering of sacrifice. And so, in other words, those four headings that I just gave you, those would have been like the things on the plaque if you were at the stone, memorial stone, and you would have read that, and you'd be like, oh, okay, so this is what happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened, and at the end, you would have been like, wow, this stone means that God rescues his people, and he is always their help in time of need. So, consider the first step, the first, the first plaque or the first heading they would have seen, the call of the word. If you look at verse 3 and 4, and again, I'm not going to read it, but it's on the screen and you have your Bibles. What we find happens here is, is that the prophet Samuel comes to Israel, who's all caught up in idolatry, and he proclaims the message of repentance. The people had fallen into um, Ashtaroth worship. You say, what on earth is that? Ashtaroth was simply the goddess of love and war. And then Baals, or Baal, there's Baal and then like little Baals. Baal was the male equivalent of Ashtaroth, the god of fertility. And so you can see here that basically what Israel had happened in the life of Israel is they had fallen into idolatry. That was the initial sin. And then the sin of idolatry had plunged them into immorality, sexual perversion, and all sorts of other sins. And so the prophet Samuel comes along and he says, now listen, if you're really repentant, three things you need to do. Put away your idols, that's the first thing. And then the second thing you need to do is direct your heart to Yahweh, the Lord who has ultimately rescued Israel and made you a people. And then three, you need to follow him or obey him or serve him and him alone. Those three things. Put away idols, direct your heart to Yahweh, and serve him alone. Now you say, well, what, why is that important, this call of the word? Because what it shows you is that spiritual repentance is always the result of the proclaimed word. Spiritual repentance is always the result of the proclaimed word. If you are saved today, if you are forgiven today, you, you have to first repent of your sin, turn from it, flee to Christ who delivers from the wrath and judgment. In other words, it's the same today as it was then. In fact, if you go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, do you know what Paul says to the church at Thessalonica? He says, for they themselves report concerning us 
the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned from God from, to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. So you see, you, you see the point? The point here is, is this, is that it is a reminder to us that repentance ultimately is the same today. What we have celebrated here are people who have repented of their sin, who have turned to the living God and experienced his salvation. And so there in the life of Israel, here they are caught up in sin, and now what has happened is a call of the word has come to them, and they have respected the man of God, they have reverenced the word of God, and they have responded with sincere repentance. You've heard that today. Somewhere down the line, each of those people that were baptized, they had heard the word, and faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? By the word of God. That's how God brings about repentance. And so there in the life of Israel, we have this illustration in their life that helps us understand what has happened here in our own lives. Now, the second sign for the Ebenezer stone would have been the confession of sin. That's the second thing. And you see that in verse 5 and 6. Again, I'm not going to read it for time's sake. But to demonstrate repent, that repentance had taken place, Samuel gathers the people and he prays for them. And the text says that he drew water and he poured the water out before the Lord, symbolized, it was just a symbol, that symbolized the washing away of the guilt of the people who had confessed their sins. True repentance is agreeing with God that sin is evil, that it deserves judgment, and it re and resulting in a confession of guilt. In a similar way to what you see here in Samuel, you see baptism symbolizes the washing away of guilt through the blood of Christ. It does not wash away guilt. There's no power in that water. That water did nothing. That water just symbolizes what happens when a person puts their faith in Christ and they are united to Christ in faith. It is the work of Jesus that washes away our sin. And so the prophet Samuel, the text says then, that, that he judged. And the word judge means that he carried out his role in shepherding the people by preaching the truth and praying for them. And so here's what I would tell you. Most ministers will, will would, if they're honest, would say, there are two things that make people mad. Preach the gospel of grace the religious hate the gospel of grace, and preach the message of repentance. Because the stubborn don't want to be told, nobody wants to be told they're a sinner. And so the task of the preacher of the gospel is to preach both of those, make everybody mad, right? <laughs> but that is what must be preached because God does save people through his grace. And that's what we've celebrated today. And sinners must repent of their sin. And so, in fact, the entire Christian life is one of faith and repentance and living that in the grace of God. And so the Ebenezer Stone reminded them not only of the call that came to them through the word, but the confession of sin. Now, the third thing that you would observe here in this text is the commitment of faith. And you see that in verse 7 through 11. 
Their trust could not be in the power of their repentance. As soon as the Philistines hear all this going on, what they think is happening, they don't think that the people of Israel are getting together to celebrate salvation and, and God's rescue. They think that, that the people of Israel are mounting a, an attack on them. So the Philistines want to beat them to the punch. And so they then, uh, they then attack Israel. And as, they're, as, as the Philistines are approaching, the people of Israel tell Samuel, don't cease to cry to the Lord our God that he, but, uh, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. So notice that their trust could not be in their power. It could not be in the power of their repentance. Their trust was not in the modification of their behavior. Their enemies were too strong. Israel needed Yahweh to act on their behalf. And in their fear, they had nowhere to turn but to the Lord their God. And verse 8 states, only he could save them. So the Ebenezer stone reminded them of the object of their faith. Who is the object of their faith? Yahweh, the God who saves. And today it is the same. In faith, we turn to the God who saves. And how he has brought us salvation is through Jesus Christ. Christ is the object of our salvation. Christ, the God-man who entered history, born of the Virgin Mary, to rescue his people from their sin. We are not even saved by the power of our faith. We are saved by the person in whom our faith rests. It is Christ who saves us. Because you know why you need to be reminded of that? Because there's going to be days you're going to wonder, am I really a Christian? And you're going to have to default to something besides the power within you or your behavior or anything else. And what are you going to go to? You're going to go to the finished work of Christ. Jesus died for my sins. Jesus was put in the grave. Jesus was raised from the dead. And in him is my faith and my assurance of salvation. And so our enemies are too great for us to overcome. And so that's why we have to rest in and rely on the Christ of the gospel to rescue us, just like the people of Israel, resting in Yahweh for their salvation. And so as you move around this monument and you see the call of the word and you see the confession of sin and then you see here the commitment of faith, the fourth and final thing you would have seen is the cover of sacrifice. As the people cry out, and as Samuel prays in verses 9 to 11, we see that he then takes a lamb, a nursing lamb, and he offers it as a burnt sacrifice. And there's the cover of sacrifice. Now here's the point. Samuel offers the burnt sacrifice to the Lord and cries out for Israel, and the Lord answered, the Bible says. Now here's what I want you to note. That the, and this is what the text says. As Samuel was offering up the burnt offering. Do you get that? As Samuel. As the offering is being made. The sacrifice. Then the Philistines drew near to destroy Israel. And so as the sacrifice is being made. Guess what the Lord of Israel does? He sends a thunderstorm. A thunderstorm. And the Philistines who were superstitious. They took thunder and lightning as a sign from the gods of a bad omen. So they begin to go crazy. They're disarrayed. The text says they're confused. And in their confusion, Israel then mounts up and attacks and destroys them. What a victory. But do you know what's interesting? Is that the heart of that victory 
is not so much Israel taking out arms, but it's the sacrifice on the altar and the God who sent the thunderstorm. The sacrifice and the sovereignty of God is what ultimately was the heart of their salvation. Isn't that true throughout Israel's history? The whole sacrificial system. And you say, brothers and sisters, you, you say, well, okay, pastor, well, then, well, what then for us as we think then about our own salvation? Well, at the center and heart of our salvation is the sacrifice. And it is the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. The cross is the center of our faith. And in Jesus' sacrifice, he has disarrayed, disarmed, and defeated the enemies of sin, Satan, death, hell, and the grave. Because of his sacrifice, we are completely and totally saved. And so every joy and every victory that is ours as believers to celebrate is because of Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so notice then the conclusion. The conclusion is verse 12. So then Samuel took a stone after all of that, after the call, after the confession, after the commitment of faith when the Philistines are coming, and then after the cover of sacrifice, he then took that stone and he lifted it up so that the Israelites would never forget. And there it says, he called it Ebenezer, for till now the Lord has helped us. So notice there in verse 12, as we close, fastest sermon you'll probably ever hear me preach, okay? So you got to get this. I'm landing the plane, folks. Who gets the glory? Yahweh. God gets the glory. He sent the prophet. His word caused repentance. He received the sacrifice. And he saved the nation. He gets all the glory. Because till now, Samuel says, the Lord has helped us. It means that the, and when he says till now, what he's saying is the Lord has helped us in the past. He has helped us now in the present. And the Lord will be our helper all the way into the eternal future. It's a Hebrew play on words. It's to demonstrate to the Israelites what we said in the beginning. God rescues and God is our help. And so I imagine that in years that would come, that that family driving away from that Ebenezer Stone in their station wagon or their camel caravan, the dad probably would have leaned back and quoted Psalm 115. Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Now church for us today, our Ebenezer Stone is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are saved and here today only because of the sovereign grace of God that sent Jesus into the world to live that sinless life, die that atoning death, and rise again from the dead victorious for our salvation. Jesus Christ, hear me church, we celebrate today with these new believers and with those coming into our membership, we are celebrating the truth that Jesus is a helper to those who cannot help themselves. He is a savior to those who cannot save themselves. He is the rock, the stone of salvation to all who repent and trust in him alone. That's what we're celebrating. And if you're here today and you have never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you need to do that today. You need to leave here today with the assurance of salvation. 
And so the ordinances, baptism, the Lord's Supper, they're just signs that remind us of this gospel. These are just Ebenezer stones. They don't save us. They contribute nothing to our salvation, but they are monuments to the sovereign grace of God. And when it comes to our salvation, it is by his help, his aid, his power entirely that we have come to rest our faith and hope in Christ. He gets all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. Christ is our helper. Christ is our Ebenezer. And that's why we sing in the hymn, Come Thou Fount, Here I raise my Ebenezer, Hither by thy help I'm come, And I hope by thy good pleasure Safely to arrive at home. And so this morning I ask you two questions. Have you experienced the victory of salvation? And what are the countless ways the Lord has been your rock and your, help, your rock of help? Think about that. And if you're here today and you're not saved, then call on the Lord to save you, believing in the gospel. And believers, let us rejoice because we have witnessed the baptism of these people whom the Lord has helped and who has brought to himself and now are walking with us in the joy and celebration of the grace of God. Let's stand. Today we're going to sing, Come Thou Fount. And as we do, let's think about this rock of salvation. Father, we thank you for your word, and I pray that it not only has framed what we have witnessed in baptism, but it also prepares our hearts for the Lord's Supper. And God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for the gospel that is the rock of our salvation. And may our hope ever rest in Jesus and his name. Amen.